All right, welcome, welcome everybody to another episode of the Final Final Podcast. Thanks for tuning in once again, I really appreciate it. Ahead on this episode, we are two games now into the NBA playoffs, so we'll see where each of the series stand, how some of our finals contenders are faring, and maybe which series gives us some of the best matchups to go a full seven games. Really great stuff so far from the NBA playoffs. Maybe just barring a few mismatches, but otherwise great stuff that we've been seeing from the NBA. It's a lot of fun to watch, especially with fans back in the stands. We'll talk about that as well. We'll also dive into what Aaron Rodgers said and kind of what he didn't say on ESPN's Sports Center this past Monday evening. Last show with Kenny Mayne. Kenny Mayne really tried to pull it out of him, but we'll dis- dissect really what uh, his first public statement since all this has gone down with the Packers. See what's really going on here between him and the Rift, uh, actually with the upper management of the Packers. We've already discussed whether this is a fixable solution for Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, but this will that will continue to be the end-all question until something comes from this. What will it take for there to be a resolution from both parties, or are we past that? So we'll get into that. And then also Julio Jones kind of spilling the beans on live TV, whether he knew about it or not, whether whether he knew it was live or not, is actually what I should have said there. So we'll talk about uh, where Julio Jones may end up, talking about uh, he's out of Atlanta, so we'll discuss that as well. And then we'll end this episode talking about golf and not just the latest PGA Championship winner either. So make sure you stick around for that as well. So let's go ahead and get started then talking about the NBA playoffs. I'm excited for today's episode. We're two games in, like I mentioned. Here's kind of where things stand just starting at the top, we got the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks. They take commanding 2-0 series leads easily. I mean, the Bucks had to go to overtime in Game 1 against Miami. They won that one on a Chris Middleton game winner. The thing that was really impressive about the Bucks taking Game 1 is they only made five three-pointers in that game. Miami had 15 three-pointers. They had 10 more threes than them. Milwaukee still ended up winning that game. Then Game 2, the Bucks really just let the Miami Heat have it. They made 22 threes in that game. I believe that's a franchise playoff high for Milwaukee right there. So they cruised to a 2-0 series lead. The Nets have just been on cruise control against the Celtics in these first two games. Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving, those three, their big three there, they seem to be working well together. We'll see when a better defensive team comes along. But the thing that's been most impressive for the Nets, it has been their defense. This has been a team where you thought with the guys like James Harden and Kyrie Irving, this wasn't going to be the best defensive team by far. (laughs) They're not the best defensive team, but they've been playing like a really good defensive team in the playoffs so far against the Celtics. Granted, the Celtics are without one of their top two players in Jalen Brown. Their best player, Jason Tatum, went down in game two with an eye injury. So we'll see if if, uh, he comes back and can give the Nets a little bit of a challenge, but if it's if if it's the Nets versus the Bucks in round two, then that will really put to the test the Nets defense, and it'll put to the test the Bucks in terms of have they made that next step to becoming a championship caliber team? Because I mean we've seen them lose in the playoffs two years in a row now, so we'll see if these two teams are on a crash course for that second round matchup. That'll be really interesting to see. But both of them right now commanding 2-0 series leads in their respective series. Also, at the top of the Eastern Conference, the Philadelphia 76ers cruise to a 2-0 series lead over the Washington Wizards. The big question for them in the 76ers is, can they escape this series unscathed 
and make a deep playoff run. What I mean by that is injuries between Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, their big three there. Those guys have been in and out of the lineup all year. This is one of those teams that has, they're, they're at the top of the Eastern Conference, but they need all three of those guys if they want to make a deep run. And the Wizards can give you fits. I mean, Russell Westbrook is high energy every play. So, I mean, he's flying around the floor. And then Bradley Beal, he can go out and drop 40 every night as well. So if the 76ers lose a game, that's not a big deal. I just want to make sure that all of their big three guys, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, those guys get out of this round healthy so then we can see them make one of those deep playoff runs that we know that the 76ers team is capable of. We just haven't seen them put it together. They got a new head coach in Doc Rivers, an NBA champion head coach, and they've got a new front office as well. This is a newer this is a team now that they have all the pieces. Let's see them make a deep playoff run. And right now they're they're on cruise control over the Washington Wizards. Let's hope they can escape that first round series unscathed and make it uh, make a deep run like I've been talking about. But so that that the Wizards then, that'll let you know that the Wizards won that other play-in game to face the 76ers. We know the Lakers won the first play-in game against the Warriors to take on the Phoenix Suns in that uh, playoff game, and, and the play-in game, excuse me. And then it was the Warriors versus the Grizzlies, and we actually had the Grizzlies move on over the Warriors in that one. We'll get to that in a second. But speaking of the Lakers, they were able to even their series on the road versus the Phoenix Suns. They lost game one by nine points, 99 to 90. They took game two in Phoenix, this time with LeBron James and Anthony Davis having big games. Chris Paul, though, for the Phoenix Suns, looking a little bit injured, actually looking a lot injured in this second game. In the first game, he had a shoulder injury. Really seemed to bother him in game two here as he wasn't even, he was only able to play, I think, four minutes of the fourth quarter. And Chris Paul is there closer he's the guy that gets everybody set up and you could see it with the Suns I mean even Devin Booker who is their best scorer he couldn't get anything that he nothing wide open that he looked I mean he went to the free throw line what 15 to 18 times in this game had 17 points and and over 30 uh, 17 free throws excuse me and over 30 points in this game but only made maybe five or six shots or something like that where Chris Paul is able to draw the defense towards him, find Devin Booker open for those shots. And with Chris Paul not on the floor, their their offense was kind of all over the place. So the Suns are going to be in real trouble. They're the number two seed here, remember, even though I think the Lakers are favored. The Suns are going to be in real trouble if CP3 is out or isn't able to go at full strength. The Suns don't, I don't, I don't think the Suns will win this series either way. But if CP3 is out for a game or two, I think that the the Suns will struggle to win one more game against the Los Angeles Lakers. And in LeBron James, we've seen this uh, kind of song and dance with him before. He He's talked about it all the time. Game one is kind of a feel-out game. He tries to see what uh, the other team's doing. Game two is where he makes sure he never goes down 0-2 in a series, especially in the first round. And then from there on out, the the Lakers and, and LeBron's teams can can figure it out from there. But Anthony Davis looked really good in game number two here. 34 points, 10 rebounds, like four blocks or something like that. Uh, got to the free throw line 21 times. So the aggressiveness, the aggressive nature from Anthony Davis is really what you wanted to see from the Lakers. He took that game one loss on himself when he only had 13 points. But the thing that's concerning for me with the Lakers, and this is just a personal observation on my part, LeBron James doesn't look the same or as healthy as you would like him to be. Now, he came back 
at the end of the season, played the final maybe three or four games of the regular season. But to me, he's not the same attacking LeBron James, not the same physical LeBron James that we've seen in years past. I mean, this past game, he only had one free throw attempt. He attempted nine threes. That is not LeBron James, in my opinion. The best LeBron James is when he's going downhill, draws the defense in, and then kicks it out to a wide-open shooter. Draws fouls this way when he goes down into the lane, gets guys in foul trouble. Anthony Davis was doing a lot of that in Game 2. And LeBron was sitting back around the three-point line and, and hitting threes. I don't know if that was a strategy thing, if he's still working through that high ankle sprain injury. But the Lakers, in my opinion, cannot win the title if he isn't at least over 90 to 95% healthy. If he's 95% healthy and he's back to the LeBron James attacking down the down the lane, then yes, the Lakers have a really good chance of getting back to the finals and competing for a championship. But if he's not, if he's just LeBron James maybe posting up a few times, finding open guys, sitting back behind the three-point line, hitting threes like that, I don't know how well the Lakers could fare because LeBron James is not a 40% free throw shooter, uh, three-point shooter, excuse me. He's not one of those guys that can make five, six threes a game like Steph Curry, of course, or anything like that. I mean, he made three or four in this past game, but I don't know if that's what you want to rely on LeBron James to do. So that's something to look for in these upcoming games, at least in this first round of this Sun Series. I don't know if he's just feeling it out, still working back into it. But if LeBron James isn't going downhill, isn't attacking like the old LeBron James, is that a concern for the Lakers going forward if they make it past the Phoenix Suns in this first round series? It's tough for the Phoenix Suns. I really wish Chris Paul was completely healthy to then see Chris Paul versus LeBron down in, in crunch time. Like this this past game in Game 2, the Lakers, I mean, the Suns tied it up at 86 apiece, and then the Lakers went on a little bit of a run to pull away with LeBron and Anthony Davis hitting big shots. It would have been really cool to see Chris Paul against his one of his best friends in LeBron down in that crunch time. Hopefully... They, they play tonight, I believe. I think game three is this Thursday, this evening. We'll see how he fares. But he did not look healthy and ready for game two. But hopefully he can... Uh, he's, he's been trying to fight through it, to, to play through it, especially with one of the better teams that they have with him on it as well. So we'll see how he comes out looking in game three. But if he isn't healthy, this is going to be a tough one for the Suns to maybe even win one more game. But all right, here's another series. This one, to me, is awesome to watch, and it's the Dallas Mavericks taking a 2-0 series lead on the road versus the Los Angeles Clippers. And here's why this is a big deal. I mean, these two teams faced off last year in the playoffs in the bubble. Luka Doncic was 21, was putting up big numbers. The Clippers, though, with Kawhi and Paul George, they were able to handle him in six games. But this year, the Clippers, they lost their last two games on purpose so they could try to avoid the Los Angeles Lakers until the Western Conference Finals. And now here they are down 2-0 to the Mavericks. They didn't take them as seriously. They said, this is the matchup we want. We faced them last year. We can handle this. Luka Doncic is all over this team, scoring 30, what, maybe 32 or 28 points in the first game, 39 in the second game, getting other guys involved. Tim Hardaway Jr. is hitting these wide-open threes. This Clippers defense, which ha- which is supposed to have two of the best wing defenders in the NBA in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, cannot shut down or cannot even slow down Luka Doncic whatsoever. It's just unbelievable how this could, 
how this could all fold out for the Los Angeles Clippers if they end up losing this series. And here's the stats. 27 of the 31 road teams to go up 2-0 in a playoff series have gone on to win that series. <laughs> so the lower seed, the road team, the, the first two games are for the home team, the team with the better record, then the next two are for the team with the lower record. That's how we, we they decide how this series goes. So the Mavericks now get to go home back to Dallas with that 2-0 series lead. 27 of the 31 road teams to go up 2-0 in a playoff series have gone on to win that series. That's a, that's a really great stat for the Mavericks in their favor. Who knows what the Clippers have to do to try and slow down Luka. Luka is going to, he's one of the top 10 players, looking like a top 5 player in this league, only at the age of 22 right now. And this just means big trouble for the Clippers in terms of if they lose this series, this could all get blown up. This roster of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and these other veterans on this team in terms of Marcus Morris and, and Rondo and stuff like this. This could all get blown up because Kawhi and Paul George, they have these opt-outs after two years on that four-year contract. And Kawhi Leonard, the, he was supposed to come here to win. And right now, he last year, they had blew that 3-1 lead in the Western semifinals against the Nuggets. Right now, they're down 2-0. At home, they were at home for these first two games against the Dallas Mavericks, and this is the matchup they wanted. And if this, if they, it looks like to me, in my opinion, I think the Dallas Mavericks are going to win this series. I think they'll win it in six games. And if that ends up being the case, I don't think Kawhi Leonard is going to return to the Los Angeles Clippers. And then the Clippers just go back to being an irrelevant franchise once again because nobody comes to Los Angeles usually to go against the Los Angeles Lakers. When you come to Los Angeles, you want to be a Laker. Kawhi wanted to come and be a part of the Clippers, tried to bring the Clippers back to try to get the Clippers to one of the better teams in the NBA, bring them to the finals and, and try to win them their first championship. He wanted to come and face LeBron in, in his own city of, of Los Angeles now with the Lakers on the other side. And man, if the, these first two years go like this, if he leaves... Nobody usually wants to come to Los Angeles to be a Clipper. They come to be a Laker. And then it's just going to be really tough for the Clippers after that. So they are in big trouble being down 2-0 to the Dallas Mavericks. Luka Doncic, Tim Hardaway Jr., which has been awesome to watch him. Just He had 28 points against the Clippers this past uh, game, too. I mean, Kristaps Porzingis, their 7'3 power forward center who can just uh, (laughs) lights out from three sometimes. He had 20 points as well. The Mavericks are scoring at ease against the Clippers right now. So, I mean, I don't know. I think game three is tomorrow on Friday, but it's in Dallas, and Dallas has that 2-0 lead. So this is a very fascinating, very fascinating first-round series matchup right now. And this is what the Clippers wanted. They wanted to avoid the Lakers in the first uh, two rounds, and here instead they ended up against the Dallas Mavericks and Luka. So we'll see how that fares for them. But right now the Mavericks up 2-0 in that series a couple other ones right here the young guns the young guys taking over the league in this playoffs Trey Young Ja Morant I already mentioned Luka Doncic as well but Trey Young had a game winner for the Atlanta Hawks in Madison Square Garden against the New York Knicks in game one Ja Morant of the Memphis Grizzlies he had that game winner in the play-in game against the Warriors against Steph Curry and Draymond Green he had that game winner in the play-in game and then They won game one against the number one overall seed in the NBA in the Utah Jazz. 
So John Morant, Trey Young, Luka Doncic really showing up big in these playoffs. is really fun to see these young guys. Now, Trey Young, John Morant, they got those game one wins. The, the, the next night or the next game for those two teams, the Utah Jazz facing the Grizzlies, they won game two. 141 points they were able to score. Donovan Mitchell, their best player on the team, their shooting guard, the guy who can go for 30 every night if he wants to. He was able to return for game two, help the Utah Jazz score 141 points. And John Morant, though, he put up 47 in a losing effort for the Memphis Grizzlies, who scored 129 points. So this is this is a series to me. John Morant can go out. He's had 30-plus points in his first two uh, playoff games now against the Utah Jazz. He's for real, and this is uh, this is a good sign for the Memphis Grizzlies going forward. They got a yacht, lot of really good young players. John Morant leading the way for them. Dylan Brooks and Jaron Jackson as well on that team for the Memphis Grizzlies. This is going to be a fun matchup, not just a cakewalk for the Utah Jazz in my opinion, but they were able to get that game to win against John Morant in the Grizzlies. So that series between the Jazz and the Grizzlies is tied up at one apiece. And then the Knicks against Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks. Game two went to the Knicks at home in front of a just absolutely electric crowd. It was awesome to watch. They were the the Knicks were down, I believe, 13 at halftime. And when they started to make that comeback late in the third quarter and then early to start the fourth quarter, they started to contr- take control of that game. Madison Square Garden was absolutely insane. Then you should have seen on social media the videos of New York itself just absolutely you would think they just won the NBA championship no they won one game it was hilarious how uh, excited the entire city was but a huge credit goes to Derrick Rose 26 points in this game 39 minutes i mean Der- this is this is uh 39 minutes is what Derrick Rose used to put up for uh time when he was back in Chicago and he still got the same coach here with the New York Knicks and Tom Thibodeau, who has really turned this team around. I mean, Julius Randle has struggled so far for the New York Knicks in these first two games. So if he can get it going, he's got, I mean, that playoff pressure is a little bit different. It might be getting to him right now early on in this series. But if he can get it going, the Knicks should be in good position. Trey Young has been talking all that trash to the players, to the fans. I mean, after his game one winner for the Atlanta Hawks, in Madison Square Garden, he started shushing the crowd, and boy, did he hear about it in Game 2 when all the fans were let back in. But wow, really exciting first two games between the New York Knicks and the Atlanta Hawks. They go to Atlanta now for Game 3, where John Morant, I'm sorry, Trey Young of the Atlanta Hawks, he's he's ready for it. He told all the, he told all the Knicks players and all the Knicks fans, he's like, I'll see you in the A, referring to Atlanta, of course, but he's excited to go back home. Just all-around great first-round series. And then here, to me, this could be the best first-round series between the Denver Nuggets and the Portland Trailblazers. This round this this round one series, to me, is going to go back and forth, and I think it's going to go for a full seven games. You got Nikola Jokic, probably the NBA MVP this year. Dame Lillard, one of the most clutch players in, in the NBA right now. I mean, the, he's got Dame time when it comes down to it. You got Michael Porter Jr., one of these young up-and-coming players for the Denver Nuggets versus C.J. McCollum as well, the Robin to Dame Lillard's backman. This series right now is tied at one apiece. The Trailblazers taking game one and then Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets taking game two. This one, to me, I think could go seven games. Just uh, the way these two teams match up is just fantastic. 
in the the chess game that they're going to have to play to see which one can come out on top and get to the second round is going to be great. But like I said, so many great game ones throughout this playoffs. Just all around great series back and forth. Let me recap really quick where we're at. So at the top, we've got the 76ers. We'll start in the Eastern Conference. 76ers versus the Wizards. The one versus eight seed. The 76ers lead that one 2-0. Then we got the number two Nets versus the number seven Celtics. The Nets lead that series 2-0. Then we've got the number three Bucks versus the number six Miami Heat. The Bucks lead that one 2-0 as well. And then we got the number four Knicks versus the number five Atlanta Hawks. That series is tied at one apiece. That's your Eastern Conference after two games. Western Conference then, you got your number one seed Jazz versus the number eight seed Grizzlies. That series is tied up at one apiece. The Utah Jazz best player Donovan Mitchell just came back for game two as well. So the Jazz feeling pretty good now winning that game two with Donovan Mitchell back. Then you've got the number two seed Suns versus the number seven seed Lakers. That series is tied up at one apiece. Chris Paul dealing with that injury. LeBron and the Lakers seeing if they can feel this one out and get past the number two seed, Phoenix Suns. Then you got the three seed, Denver Nuggets versus the six seed, Portland Trailblazers. That series is tied up at one apiece. This is the one that I absolutely, I think, is going to go seven games. Then you got the four seed, Los Angeles Clippers versus the five seed, Dallas Mavericks. And you've got the Mavericks leading that one. 2-0. 2-0. And this is all on the Clippers because they wanted this series. They lost their last two games. They had that number three seed. Here they are now down 0-2 to the Dallas Mavericks. But there is your recap of the first round series and two games in now. It's just been fantastic uh, NBA playoff basketball. Way different than the NBA bubble last year, especially because we got fans back in the stands. It's fantastic. It's really great to watch. All right, on to some NFL news then. And we'll start, of course, with Aaron Rodgers' update. Like I said, he talked on SportsCenter Monday night for Kenny Maine's last show with ESPN. And he talked a lot about, <laughs> a lot of it was dodging where, where Kenny Maine is trying to pull it out of him. Aaron Rodgers just said, I'm only here because it's your last show with ESPN. I'm such a big fan of yours. He rambled on about that for a little bit. And Kenny Maine trying his best to pull it out of him. He's like, Aaron, this is not what they want. He's like, they want you to either announce one of four things. You can either retire, you can say you're hosting Jeopardy, you can demand a trade, or you can say all is well, I'll be back in a week or something like that. He's trying. He's literally point blank giving him his options on what they want to hear, and uh, Aaron wasn't falling for it. But at one point he did talk about the little rift that's going on between him and the Packers. He didn't deny it. The reporting has has mostly been there. We're not sure if he's demanded a trade or how that's all come about. But he talked a lot about what the philosophy of the Packers and how the players and the he, he said the people maybe like seven or eight times through this whole thing are being treated. And he's talking about the people that have built the Packers up, not just the management, but the players that have been there. So there still seems to be a little bit of a disconnect but it looks, it seems like it could be fixable, in my opinion, and, and we'll talk about it right here. Um, this is more than just the disrespect that he feels, that he feels he's been subject to. I think it's more on how he thinks, and possibly many other players as well. The Packers have gotten away from what has made them the Packers of of the old, with the good relationships and the communication, and and how you treat. Packers that have been such a big part, players that have been such a big part of the team for many years. And a good example would be how uh, Jordy Nelson 
was kind of released by the Packers when when the Packers he was his last year he was supposed to be owed I think 12 million and the Packers are like yeah we can't afford you at that I guess we'll we can offer you like the minimum of like 1 million 2 million it's some it was something around those kind of numbers and that's just a slap in the face to a, to a life uh to a lifelong Packer like Jordy Nelson who's given so much to the team when you know his value on the market was around 7 to 8 million which is what he got with the Las Vegas Raiders now other examples of this as well is when like a guy like Corey Lindsley or other players of the Packers who have been integral parts of their success, if you don't reach out to them when it's their free agent year and say, hey, we appreciate all you've done for us. We don't think we're going to be able to bring you back at this kind of price range. We'd love to have you back, but it doesn't look like it's going to be able to happen, but we still wanted to reach out and thank you for your time with the Green Bay Packers. That has kind of been what it seems like the Packers have gotten away from or haven't been doing for a time being is not reaching out and not, I don't know, it's just it's just a respectful thing to do for guys that have made the Packers what they are. It's not like Brian Gutekinds or Ted Thompson or Ron Wolf. It's not like they are the Packers. And it's not like Aaron Rodgers is the Packers. It's not like Brett Favre is the Packers. But these guys, you have to be able to, these you have to be able to recognize how much they've given to this organization and how much the success that they've had. So reaching out and saying thanks for your time here, that's something that the Packers seem to have gotten away from in terms of with Jordy Nelson, whether it be with, if it was with Corey Lindsley as well, some of these other guys. That's something that Aaron Rodgers sees and maybe he doesn't, he sees it's been happening to him a little bit, keeping him. And it's just a communication thing that seems to have fallen apart and Aaron Rodgers is trying to address that, whether it's directly with him or he sees it that it's coming with him or that he's seen it in the past with other players as well. So that's something that if the Packers, in that if, if this is just me, I don't know if this is 100% accurate with the Jordy Nelson, with the Corey Lindsley, but what I've been reading is if that's how it's been going down between the Packers and some of these lifelong uh, players that have been fan favorites, that have given so much, you know, if that's how it has been going down, that's something that Aaron Rodgers is trying to address. He wants that fixed, especially for himself in the coming years too, especially with the pick of Jordan Love. Now, he went out of his way in this interview with Kenny Mayne on Monday to say that it had nothing to do with the Jordan Love pick, and it has nothing to do with Jordan Love the player, which is really good to hear. Now, one thing that was said recently by Alex Smith, the former quarterback for the Washington football team, and the Kansas City Chiefs. Keep that one in mind as well as we go through this here. He said how it's been just the utmost disrespect or just ludicrous how the Packers have handled this and how they haven't warned or haven't communicated with Aaron Rodgers in terms of when they were picking Jordan Love. And Alex Smith gave the story of how when the Kansas City Chiefs went and picked Patrick Mahomes when he was the quarterback there. Now, the Kansas City Chiefs, they how Alex Smith told it was they were in constant communication with him saying, hey, we're thinking about going to get this guy, Patrick Mahomes, in the draft. We're thinking about trading up for him. Here's our plan for you. This is We want to let you know that you're still very much a part of this team. We really appreciate you a lot. You're going to be our starting quarterback still. Alex Smith went on to tell them on how he was in the loop on everything involved with the Patrick Mahomes pick when the time came how are you feeling I mean it's not you're it, it's not them asking hey how do you feel about this pick do you think we should do it that's not what 
Aaron Rodgers wants. That's not, I think, that's not what Alex Smith or a lot of people are thinking the Packers should do. It's just checking in with your franchise, your NFL superstar quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, who we know has a little bit of, uh, <laughs> has a little bit chips on his shoulder. He takes everything a little bit personally, whether it be when he fell in the draft or whatnot. We know Aaron Rodgers takes these things as slights. So Alex Smith was discussing on how the Chiefs, when they went with Patrick Mahomes, they were in constant communication with him and talking and, and just checking in with him throughout the whole process, just being honest with him on how the pick was going to go. Now the report that Aaron Rodgers was blindsided by this pick, there's two ways that this could have came about. One, the Packers weren't planning on picking Jordan Love. There's There's been multiple reports that the Packers were actually trying to trade up to go get Justin Jefferson, the wide receiver out of LSU, now with the Vikings. Or they wanted the wide receiver Brandon Ayuk out of Arizona State, now with the 49ers. Both teams traded up ahead of the Packers to get those two wide receivers. And then the Packers ended up with Jordan Love, who they said in the draft process early that a quarterback could be taken in the first round. It could be as soon as this year. And they said if one of the top-tier guys falls, Joe Burrow, Tua Tagovailoa, Justin Herbert, or Jordan Love, considered in that top four of prospects, for the quarterback, that the Packers could eventually take one of them. Now, that is much different. They said that in public on during the draft combine, yada, yada. But if that time is coming, you still have the ability to call Aaron Rodgers and say, hey, this is how the draft board fell. We went. We were trying to go get Justin Jefferson. We were trying to get Brandon Ayuk. It didn't work out for us. Jordan Love is still available. We see him as a high-level prospect worthy of our first-round pick. That's something you can go and talk to Aaron Rodgers about where it's still, you're not asking him, hey, what do you think of us taking Jordan Love? No, but this is this is something that the Packers should have done, in my opinion, is give him a warning of, hey, Jordan Love is coming in. Do the same thing the Chiefs did. You are still our franchise guy. You are our, our quarterback of the future, of the present, and of the, of the future, and the distant future, possibly. Just You just got to keep him in the loop with stuff like that because of the caliber player that he is and what he's meant to Green Bay for all these many years. That's something that I think the Packers didn't do, something they could have done to help avoid some of this thing. And now people say that the Jordan Love pick was a mistake. In my opinion, Aaron Rodgers doesn't win the MVP this past season if Jordan Love isn't selected by the Packers. That it lit a fire under Aaron Rodgers, of course, and that fire still could have been lit while also going through the proper communication of just letting Aaron Rodgers know, you know. So, I mean, it lit a fire under Rodgers. He went back, looked at his tape from when he won his first two MVPs, found something different that he had gotten away from, got back to it this year, boom, throws 48 touchdowns, over 4,000 yards, and wins the MVP. So the Jordan Love pick by no means was a mistake. We've talked about the three previous seasons that Rodgers had before this MVP season. And the pick seemed justified with Rodgers having down years for him, not down years in, in terms of of, a, of what quarterback play is, but down years for him. And when he's been carrying the Packers, they thought maybe it's time that it's we just start to look for a, for a succession plan. So what I've got from Aaron Rodgers talking about the whole, the philosophy of the Packers and how the players and the people are being treated what I got from that is what he's trying to change is how the Packers have been going about business for the past couple of years, maybe, is how it is. He went out of his way to say, I love my coaches. 
I love my teammates. I love my former teammates. I love the fans. He went about his way to say all that, and he went out of his way to make sure he did not mention the front office of Brian Gutekinds, Mark Murphy, and Russ Ball. Those three guys are who he has a problem with, Aaron Rodgers versus the front office of the Green Bay Packers. I think there is a way for them to reconcile and and just kind of bring this all back together. But Aaron Rodgers is trying to get the Packers to change a little bit of how they've been going about business these past couple of years with how it comes to the free agents, where you let a guy, you reach out to a guy, thank him for his time with the Packers and say, hey, I don't think we're going to be able to bring you back. That to me is what Aaron Rodgers is trying to get through. And it it started with the Jordan Love pick. He he can say that it he doesn't he can say that he has no problem with Jordan Love, which I 100% believe. But I think he had a little bit of a problem with the Packers taking Jordan Love, maybe not keeping him in the loop. Not necessarily. You don't ask a player say, "Do you want us to draft this guy?" You don't ask a player that. That's that's for the front office to do. But you can let players know and say, "Hey, we're gonna take this guy, but you're still." our guy for the, the present and the, the distant future as well. You're our quarterback for years to come. That's something that the Packers, and it's a communication thing that I think has been the disconnect this whole time for the Packers, and we'll see if it can be fixed. I think it can be, but we'll see. There, there's there been talks about a new contract as well, which could be part of what Aaron Rodgers is talking about in terms of, hey, you say, you I need you to, I want you to say that I'm the guy of the future. I need you to show that I'm the guy of the future. Maybe that all comes into play as well. But we'll see how it all pans out. But that's Aaron Rodgers talking on Kenny Main on on Sports Center was a lot of just hot air and and thanking Kenny for his time on Sports Center. But then he went about talking about how the people have, have built the Packers and the players have built the Packers. And uh that, I mean he he might he mostly punted on on everything that Kenny Main was asking. But that little bit there can give us a little insight on what Aaron Rodgers is really feeling with the Packers and how it's all been going down. But other NFL news as well, Julio Jones, I believe was it maybe Tuesday or Monday, he, uh, Shannon Sharp of Undisputed on Fox Sports called him while live on TV. I'm not sure if this was staged or what, but this was absolutely hilarious because Shannon Sharp just on live TV talking to Julio asked him, about how it's it's going down with Atlanta. He's like, how's it with Atlanta? He's like, he's like, oh, I'm out of there. And then he's he's asking him where he would want to play, and he's like, I want to go somewhere where I would win. So Julio Jones spilling the beans on live TV, referring to likely being traded by the Falcons this offseason. He's actually likely to be traded sometime next week after the June 1st deadline, which is saves teams cap space for this current season. And there's been reports that it's likely to happen next week. There's actually been reports that the Falcons have a first-round pick offer on the table that they might take. So that's something that the Falcons have wanted. They're like, if we're going to trade Julio Jones, we need to get at least a first-round pick for him. That looks like the asking price that they're trying to get. We'll see if they end up do getting that as well. But they also, the Falcons, the reason they need to do this is for the cap space. They are over the cap limit right now and Julio Jones is one of those pieces that they may be able to move on from with guys like Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts as weapons on the offense now where Julio Jones has been injured for the past couple years as well so a couple of places that have been brought up for him to likely get traded to the New England Patriots are a big one that people are fans of reminiscent of 
when Bill Belichick and the Patriots traded just a fourth rounder to get Randy Moss in the building, and then he had those spectacular seasons with Tom Brady in, what was that, 2007-2008 year where he had like 23 touchdown catches. So that's what this uh, is reminding a lot of people of, is the Patriots could go get Julio Jones. The Indianapolis Colts, they are the ones with the most cap space left and could easily make this move if they wanted to, just trading a second-round pick, or even if they wanted to, a first-round pick to get Julio Jones in there for with Carson Wentz. The Baltimore Ravens, another team, to just try and get more and more quality, great receivers around Lamar Jackson to help improve that passing game in Baltimore. Then you would have Julio Jones, Rashad Bateman, the wide receiver they just drafted this year, Marquise Brown, and then Sammy Watkins as well on that team. You'd have four great receivers, four good receivers to surround Lamar Jackson with. The Tennessee Titans, A.J. Brown, the their star wide receiver there in Tennessee, has been trying to recruit Julio to get his agent and his team to make this deal to bring Julio into Tennessee. So then it would be Ryan Tannehill at quarterback. You'd have A.J. Brown and Julio Jones as your number one and number two wide receiver. You still have Derrick Henry in the backfield. That's just a frightening offense, no matter who the new offensive coordinator is back there but so the titans are a team the los angeles chargers are one to get julio out there in la with justin herbert and keenan allen that would be a nice one to see you got the 49ers in the mix the green bay packers have been talked about as if the green bay packers can make this deal for julio does it solve all the problems with aaron Rodgers? i don't think it has i don't think bringing julio jones would just solve what aaron Rodgers has been talking about sure it'd make him happy that julio's there but People are just thinking, put a Band-Aid over a, a, a something uh, like a like a scar or something like that. Is that that'll fix the problems with Aaron Rodgers? But it would definitely go a long way into proving to him what they're trying to do. But we'll see if the Packers even have the cap space, and they usually don't make this kind of trades, sending second or first round picks for players like this. But the Packers have been talked about. I mentioned the 49ers as well. All these teams. There's at least 15 to 20 teams that could be making calls to the Atlanta Falcons. We'll see who's serious about it or not. But Julio Jones definitely going to be on the move, I believe, this offseason. Look for it after June 1st for it to come down, maybe June 1st to, to the 4th or something like that for them to finalize it. But it's been reported that there's a first-round pick on the table offered to the Atlanta Falcons. So we'll see where he ends up. He wants to go somewhere where he can win as well, and that makes a lot of sense. Julio, 32, coming off of a couple seasons with some injuries as well. We'll see where he ends up going maybe in the next coming week or so. And then last thing for the NFL news that I want to talk about, top remaining free agents. This is something we've uh, gotten away from a little bit, but there are still a lot of valuable players out there that can help teams win this upcoming season. I mean, uh, most importantly, I mean, you got Richard Sherman, Still a free agent. He can help a team, most certainly. Maybe a team with young corners as well. He can step in, coach some of these guys. And he had, he's just two years removed from an all-pro season. I mean, he did have his injury this past year, but who didn't on that 49ers team? But we'll see where he could end up. Mitchell Schwartz, former offensive tackle for the Super Bowl champion Chiefs. He was released this offseason. He was unable to play in this past year's Super Bowl. So that's why they released him for cap issues and, and just rebuilt their entire offensive line. But Mitchell Schwartz is still out there. Russell Okun, a former offensive lineman for the Panthers and the Seahawks. Melvin Ingram, a defensive tackle, defensive end from the Chargers, pass rusher that teams could help uh, use help for. 
K.J. Wright, an inside linebacker, former Seattle Seahawk. He could be out there for teams in need of inside linebacker help. You've got a couple weapons in Golden Tate, Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley. I mean, Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, those are big-name running backs still available. We'll see. I'm not sure if those guys will be signed before the season starts. I mean, Le'Veon Bell hopped on the, the Chiefs bandwagon middle of the season. So we'll see if either of those guys make an opening day roster. And then you got a couple of defensive tackles in Geno Atkins and Jarrell Casey, run stoppers who can help teams up front as well. So we'll see. There's some big names out there, some guys that can be really valuable to teams, helping them win on really cheap contracts at this point, especially with uh, how the NFL salary cap is going to be for the next couple of seasons. These are guys still out there for really low prices, I'm assuming, in terms of one-year deals, maybe even two-year deals. But we'll see if uh, if some of these guys where they end up and how they can help some of these teams. But we're getting close. We're getting closer and closer to training camps as well. So I would expect these guys to be signed sooner rather than later. But some big names still available, especially Richard Sherman. I would have thought he'd been long gone by now, but uh, we'll see. All right, final thought then today on this episode of the Final Final Podcast. I told you I'd get to baseball and Shohei Otani, nicknamed Showtime of the Los Angeles Lake, uh, Los Angeles Angels, excuse me. I mean, this guy is incredible. Just a sight to watch. He's now probably one of the five players max, probably less. There's probably like two or three players that you actually turn on a baseball game to watch unless you're watching your favorite team, of course. So, like, for me, it's the Brewers. For my roommate, Jordan, he loves watching the Cardinals. But there's maybe maybe two or three guys max. I said five, just a nice round number, or a nice, you know, I just like five, ten, whatever. But Shohei Otani is one of these guys. You may have heard of him by now, but of what he's doing, but what he is, I'm sorry. You may have heard of him, but what he is doing is unheard of. That's what I, That's the line I was trying to get there. Because this guy is the starting pitcher for the Los Angeles Angels, one every five starts. Then he's also their designated hitter, can also play right field if they're playing against a National League team. So, I mean, as a hitter right now, he has 15 home runs. That's tied for third in all of baseball, not just the American League, all of baseball. 38 RBIs, that's tied for sixth in all of baseball, and also has six stolen bases. That's tied for 21st. This guy has the power. And he's got the speed around the bases. I mean, there's a there's a clip of a routine single that he turns into a double, no problem with just his speed. This guy is what six five, six four, with the power and the athleticism, is just incredible to watch. There was a there was a there was a streak of games last week or maybe two weeks ago now where he was hitting two homers one night, the next night hit another homer, then the next night he was pitching. And then the next, and then after like six innings of pitching, yeah, sure, he ends up in right field because you can't replace your designated hitter. It was unbelievable to see what he was doing in some of these games. And those were just his hitting stats that I gave you before the 15 homers, the 38 RBIs, the six stolen bases. That was just him as a hitter. Here's him as a pitcher now. He started six games pitching so far with a 2.37 ERA. That would be 13th in all of baseball if qualified. So he's a top 15, top 20 starting pitcher in the MLB, along with being one of the top 10 hitters in baseball right now. That is unmatched and unheard of in this day and age of baseball that we've been playing. I mean, he's got 45 strikeouts. The Angels have won every game of those six games that he has started pitching as well. 
And then, like I mentioned, when he's done pitching in some of these games, he goes out and he's playing in right field like everyone used to do in Little League when you could do that back then. But now he's doing that in the major leagues. It's incredible to watch. If you haven't watched him sometimes, either whether he's pitching, he can throw it over 100 miles per hour as well. I, I might have forgot to mention that. But, I mean, goodness. The home runs that he's hitting as well, the power that he has, whether it's going down low for a home run or hitting a home run when the ball is pitched at his eye level. It's insane to watch. It's so much fun, too. It's just a little disappointing that he's on the Los Angeles Angels. I mean, the Los Angeles Angels right now, they have Mike Trout, the best player in baseball. They have Shohei Otani, probably a top five, top ten player in baseball. And then they have Anthony Rendon, third baseman. He's a top 15 player in all of baseball right now as well. And they are, what, third in their division? Maybe even fourth in their division. I don't understand it, how it's happening. They have three top 15 players in all of baseball. But still, if you haven't uh, watched any of his highlights, at least, or haven't seen him play when he's on TV, they put a lot of Angels games on TV, I tell you. But you have to watch this guy. It's so amazing to watch what he is doing in Major League Baseball right now. All right, and then final, final thought on this episode of the Final Final Podcast. Phil Mickelson becoming the oldest golfer to win a major tournament at 50 years old. Really fun to watch. I mean, won the PGA tournament this past weekend. 2013 was his last major tournament victory. He actually had to ask for an exemption to get into this tournament because he didn't qualify for the PGA championship. You had to be uh, in the top 100 rankings, and I think he is ranked around 115, 120 or something like that. But a former tra- uh, tournament champion like Phil, they granted him the, the exemption, and he came in and he won the tournament. It was uh, incredible to watch. From start to finish, I mean, he, he started his first round great. Second round, he took the lead. Third round, um, he actually had a huge lead at one point, came back down with a one-stroke lead, and then was able to finish it off on Sunday, defeating Brooks Kepka by, I think, one stroke. Wins his sixth major tournament. He joins an exclusive group of just 14 gar- golfers all time. Excuse me, that was really weird how I said golfers. That was hilarious. Joins an exclusive group of 14 golfers who have won six or more major tournaments. Of course, you've got Jack Nicholas, Tiger Woods in there, but now add in Phil Mickelson with six major tournaments or more. Only 14 golfers have done that. Then kept himself in the news this past week as well, this entire week, and will probably next week as well, with another one of those match tournaments. This is the one where with Capital One, and it's just 2v2. Last year we had... Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning and Tiger Woods. This year's match, they announced it this week. We get Phil and Tom Brady once again. This time, they're taking on Bryson DeChambeau and Aaron Rodgers. This is going to be great. And I mean, the trash talking has already begun from Tom Brady. And wow, he is just brutal. He is so, he is, there's a new, uh, popular meme out there of Brooks Kepka, who just took second at the PGA tournament. Yeah, PGA Championship, and Bryson DeChambeau, who's going to be in this tournament with Aaron Rodgers. Those two have a little bit of, it looks like it's real disgust for each other on the golf course. There's a meme that's been flying around with Brooks rolling his eyes and Bryson DeChambeau walking past, and Tom Brady has been using that one to death just to roast Aaron Rodgers, to roast Bryson DeChambeau. Then Brooks Kepka went on social media and said, sorry, bro, to Aaron Rodgers about having to golf with DeChambeau. 
And then DeShambo responded back to that. It's just insane, the trash talking that is going on from guys not even in this match tournament. But it's going to be DeShambo and Aaron Rodgers versus Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady. This isn't this. I mean, last time it was Tiger and Peyton Manning versus Phil and Brady. This one, I think, is going to be even tougher for Phil and Brady against DeShambo and Rodgers because Rodgers is actually a pretty good golfer. I mean, Peyton Manning it was uh, is nowhere near the golfer I think that Aaron Rodgers is. At least he maybe is now since he's been retired. But but I mean, wow, Tom Brady just the ultimate trash talker online at least with some of these things showing uh, Aaron Rodgers rolling his eyes with the Brooks Kepka and the Bryson meme. And in the background, it says Packers deciding to go for a field goal instead of uh, going for the touchdown against me in the NFC Championship game. I mean, just legendary roasts and uh, trash talking coming from Tom Brady. It's really fun. So this uh, this tournament, the match, I believe, will be in either early July or late June. And I think it'll be in a big sky out in Montana. So this is one to watch. But Phil Mickelson winning the major tournament at 50 years old, becoming the oldest golfer to win a major tournament. That's the Masters, PGA Championship, U.S. Open, and the Open. Becomes the oldest at 58 years old. Then later in the week, keeping himself in the news with the match. So Tom Brady started off with the trash talking. Phil Mickelson trying to get in it as well. DeShambo and Rogers. Struggling to uh, come back at Tom Brady, but wow, that looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. But we'll see that one come later in a couple, uh, maybe in a month or a couple of weeks after that as well. So that should be really fun to watch as well. All right, that is all I have for you on this episode of the Final Final Podcast. Thanks for tuning in next week. We'll see where we're at with the NBA playoffs as well. I'll hopefully now get to the NBA, or I'm um, sorry, the NFL projections that I was talking about with team records and who I think could make the playoffs. We might wait a little bit on that one as well, see how some more of this offseason pans out for some of these teams, but we'll make sure we get to some of that as well next week. And also the NHL playoffs still rolling on. We'll probably be in round two come next week's podcast episode, so we'll see who moved on and who uh, dropped out of the NHL playoffs. But like I said, that's all I've got for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Stay safe out there, everybody. And this is the final final.